0: Difficult.
1: Difficult.
0: Difficult. Difficult. Difficult.
2: Difficult. Difficult. Women. Zippity doodah. Actually, I'm not sure we're allowed to say that anymore because the
0: movie is like
2: banned. Oh,
0: no! We're canceled and we haven't even started. Canceled. I'm Katie. I shouldn't tell you who I am, but I'm. Canceled Katie. I know. And who are you? Well, I'm affiliated with you. I'm Marie. So if you go down, girl, also canceled. I'm canceled by proxy. Yeah. And together we're canceled. Uh, this is the Difficult Women podcast. <laughs> Oops, sorry. I hey, that's <laughs> all right. You know, top right off the bat. I mean, I'm hot. I'm hot and mad about cancel culture because I just read that Kathy Griffin article in the New York Times, and it's a hot topic. It is a hot topic. It's hot.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: I we should feel. We should for do another Kathy. episode for it. Yeah, we should. I all think right, cancel culture has changed in the last again three years.
2: No, I think it like, it used to be like a real thing mm-hmm. and then it got a little carried away and it's still mm-hmm. a real thing. Well, we'll do another episode about it. <laughs> just <laughs> get me started on some crazy tangent.
0: Uh, how are you doing? I'm great. I did want to share with the listeners that my pelvis just bench pressed 75 pounds on Friday with my trainer. So I've been training for the apocalypse. And Working that pelvis. I, yeah, the pelvis, we do though. these. Your pelvis is swole. <laughs> But the rest of you was skinny. It's true. I got a Mm -hmm. big, (laughs) strong pelvic region. No, you like put the barbell on your pelvis and then do hip thrusts. Ah. I I I thrusted seventy five pounds.
2: Online dating.
0: It's good. Anyway, I just wanted to brag, a little humble brag. Yeah. Boys. Yeah. No,
1: I mean That's pretty good.
0: I don't know how many pounds I could thrust. I'm not sure yet. I, have to I mean, in theory, if I'm laying on the bottom and a guy's on top of me and they're only seventy five pounds. Oh my God, you can just thrust them off the bed. So you have to be careful with that powerful pelvis.
2: It's a it could be a danger.
0: Yes. So I should put that on my dating profile, my online dating profile. Can- if you're for seventy pounds, with my <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, how are you? I'm a weakling, apparently,
2: <laughs> compared to you. I can't. I don't. I don't. I can't do anything. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> fine I'm still inside the numbers are going down it's all I care about yeah <laughs> talk about the same thing every week it's all I do is look at the numbers yeah. uh at least in in New York I don't know about y'all suckers out there In the rest of the world I'm so sorry this is so
0: terrible <laughs> it's like it's fine Tennessee should be in a state and they should declare it being us in a state of an emergency what is the technical yeah, term but I don't I know, know. It's it's just but, still going to Applebee's no, and or, hanging out and oh stuff. yeah no yeah, just place. hanging out. Oh yeah. Anyway, right, that's cool. It's
2: fine. I made yeah. I, I really I like being at home. It's fine. Not to stay here forever.
0: <laughs> no Wait. So deal. is your work not back in person? No, we're back, but I'm only oh,
2: okay. there a couple of days a week. So that's been great. Love yeah. that. See some human beings, not just talking Love to myself it. for once. Exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then working from home.
3: Love
2: nothing it. that. Nothing that.
0: Uh, exciting, but that's okay. Mm. But sometimes no news is good news. You know. I would say so. You know, what also is exciting. What? As we are gearing up for a self-love challenge.
2: Very exciting all through February and listen up to what we got to say about it right now.
0: As we all know, February is the month we all associate with romantic love and all the loving gestures that come with it. But let's be real. For so many, this day comes and goes, leaving us feeling anything but loved and adored. Well, it's time to stop whining and start winning at love. Join us
2: every Tuesday this month as Difficult Women teams up with the intuitive love coach Lori Bryant Woolridge for our 28 day Soul Sexy Self Love Challenge. This challenge is designed to help get you out of the habit of looking for love in all the wrong places and
0: into the habit of finding it within. Quite frankly, it may be the most important love fest you'll ever experience. Oh,
2: I'm excited about that challenge. It's going to be really cool. And like, really, I don't know, inspirational. Speaking of inspirational, uh, we have inspired someone to write an email.
0: Woo! An
2: email! I'm excited about This is a great email. This one is in response to our masculinity, the, is woke culture killing masculinity episode. Episode 138, for those of you that oh. are keeping track. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and our, our friend Steven wrote in and he says... I definitely enjoyed this episode as it made me aware that there are apparently people who feel that woke culture, i.e. treating people with respect, is somehow attacking their self-image as a man. Honestly, what you were describing sounds like a bunch of misogynists who are trying to rebrand their attempt to control others as an attack on the misogynists themselves. Men are responsible for how they choose to define masculinity. I like that. Men are responsible Mm -hmm. for how they choose choose to define masculinity. They Mm -hmm. are generally the people who are reinforcing the negative masculine behaviors with each other. They are therefore responsible for reinforcing and demonstrating positive behaviors. Not listening to any media person who perpetuates negative masculine traits is a good start. That's a good idea. Uh, Not like feeding into like some of the mass, you know. Fox hysteria or whatever until men start holding other men accountable for not being respectful for others things will never change love to hear it from a man you know what I mean okay I'm sorry I'm putting in my editorial it. comments into this. <laughs> and then he has gives us two side notes you continually mention straight white men as being the predominant problem which I agree with especially with society overall racism sexism the entire US government etc but But African-American, Asian, Hispanic, Middle Eastern, and pretty much all cultures present in the United States have negative elements of masculinity. While white men are the ones in power and absolutely own the majority responsibility, they have the majority representation in media and also representation Period. Which is my editorial, uh, which I think is your point. But that does not preclude everyone from stepping up their game to make life on this planet a little less hostile. And I would th- I like I wanted to make that clear that, yes, you're right. It's not just straight white men. It's men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so get it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also says, I was reminded of subtle ways our language contributes to this. Language for everyone probably needs to change by dispensing with phrases like "stop bitching," "man up," "be a man," "don't be a pussy," "wearing the pants in the relationship," etc., and instead be more inclusive. We see this already with firefighter versus fireman, and many, many other man occupations, and the shift in nomenclature from actors to actress, and just using actor for all genders. Uh, I, I've always pushed for that. I always call myself an actor. Um, mm-hmm fun thought, he says. What do you think when someone mothers a child? What about when someone fathers a child? How much work goes into each? And is that a reflection of our cultural expectations of participation and division of responsibility, which is the result of a history of white male male-dominated culture and institutions? I'm going way off topic now, but that's where the train of thought took me as I listened to your discussion. As always, thank you for the thought provoking topic. They provide a great opportunity for self-reflection. Love it. Thank you. This is Oh. This is what I want to hear. This made me very happy when we uh, got this email because uh,
0: this is a man that's like looking, looking, and in, looking into it.
2: You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I love when we number one. I love when a man listens to our podcast. Thank you. And then number two, this self reflection and a deep dive into you know their own lives and then offering just their human experience to us so we can share to others. Thank you, thank you, thank you for writing in. Yeah, and I just want to mention, that's a really interesting point about what does it mean,
2: what does the terminology mean when you say you mother a child, mm. right? What do you think mm-hmm. of when you think of that? I think of like taking care of it and being like, oh, baby, a oh, little, but, but, you know, and when, I, when you father a child, it means you fucked somebody and got them pregnant. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's to me what I think of at least. Mm-hmm. Huh. You don't I don't think of people you never playing think- sports or something when you father a child. <clears throat> when you father a child, that means like you impregnated mm. a woman. <laughs> mm-hmm. When you father
0: a child, yeah, interesting, interesting. Huh. Thank you. That was that's so fascinating. Cool. Fascinating. Ah, oh, well, on with the episode. This episode. I'm so excited to share because it took a lot of work. I'm not gonna lie; yeah. <laughs> it took lots of work. <laughs> more effort. It took a lot of work. You're welcome. I was <laughs> like, I had this idea, and I was like, Why did I screw myself? Because <laughs> it was just more work. But I think it's worth it because let's jump into it. It's still COVID. It's still a pandemic, and as we all know, essential workers are the backbone of our economy, the backbone of society. And we are turning towards teachers right now to carry this weight. And every teacher friend that I've been talking to through this whole pandemic, it's either teachers by uh, healthcare friends who are struggling, and then parents. So it's like these people that I keep checking in with are doing are not are not well are not doing well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we just wanted to take a minute and give them space and to give them time for us to to see them and to hear their experiences. Yeah,
2: and I think sometimes some of us that are not essential workers may not realize the, the depths of which this has a, been a struggling, a difficult mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. you know, a struggle. So we have three teachers that we spoke to sort of from different walks of life and backgrounds, and we're just going to play some of their... Um, thoughts on their experiences through this time. We're starting with a friend of the pod who um, is a teacher in like a lower school music scenario. And she had really interesting
3: things to say. I'll go back to March 13th, 2020, um, when (laughs) it all began and it was terrifying. In addition to dealing with all of the COVID anxiety and pandemic like what's going to happen with the world type stuff. Um, I had never taught online. Zoom was not a word (laughs) that we really knew. We didn't know any of the platforms that we were going to be using to dispense material. We didn't have the tools and we were totally thrust into it with zero, not zero preparation. We actually kind of saw the writing on the wall and talked about, um, had some meetings about what it might be like if we went virtual, but all of this was sort of with the expectation that it might be like a week or two weeks. Um, I don't think anyone foresaw what was coming down the pike. Fast forward through the summer, it became clear that we were not going back in person and everything was going to be over Zoom. Oh, then I remember being really nervous about like having kids on Zoom and parents in the room. I definitely had classes where there were parents clearly sitting or tutors like side by side with the kids. And that's just a weird experience in general, because I am used to teaching children and your demeanor and your everything changes when like an adult is in the room and you're acting goofy and doing silly things. Um, The days of Zoom teaching were really exhausting. Um, I would have several hours of back-to-back classes. So it would be like I would have a grade a day um, and it would, you know, so I'd have fourth grade on Mondays or whatever. And I would have two or three hours of back-to-back fourth grade classes. Like if I was lucky, I had a bathroom break in between. And um, you're delivering the same content back to back. And it's sort of like when you're working out and you're doing like four sets of, uh, uh, of curls or whatever. And like the first one, you've got all this motivation. You're like, I got this. And the second one, you're like, okay, I can fix my form. I know exactly what to do. And then third one, you're like, I can't believe I have to do another round of this. And then the last one, you're like, okay, it's just my last round. I can get through it. Um, it's like that on repeat, literally the entire year. I have a lot of experience as a teacher and as a musician, and all of it was not helpful. (laughs) So everything had to be done again. Um, I spent so many hours developing um, lessons and trying to figure out ways that I could create content like that the kids could play along with, but I couldn't ever really check on them because I could never sync the sound with their unmuting it was really hard to check on their progress. And I kind of didn't really care. That was just not the goal for me. My goal was the entire year, and I made it very clear, was how can I get these kids to find some joy and use music as a way um, to find joy, find the fun, to turn to music when things are hard. And I think I was really successful with that. So like, even though everything was harder, it really did lead to some richer lessons, which I never would have anticipated. So it's actually been really interesting how rich the curriculum has been and how nice it is to not have the pressure of performing and how much you can do such a deeper dive on things. And like, there's just no rush on time other than like I don't feel like I have as much of an agenda. We're still not singing because um, when you sing, you're obviously expelling more air, and there's like all these studies that we follow from aerosols, and we're definitely on the conservative side. Um, but because my little kids weren't vaccinated, everything um, we still they still have not sung. I haven't heard them sing since March of 2020. Um, and then, like as a teacher, as a human, I feel like those things are not necessarily combined. Like. I am exhausted, overworked. Um, everyone has more responsibilities. You know, there's more lunches to supervise. The supervision of those lunches is really hard to make. You know, they're often outside. It's cold. Um, kids are carrying their lunches, and then they forget things, and they have to run back inside, and they have to keep their distance, and you have to sanitize and washing hands, and lining up, and keeping them spaced apart. Like it's just sort of things that you don't necessarily. Um, Think of, and we still have all the responsibilities. You know, you still have to write your comments. You still have to do carpool line. You still have to, you know, do all of the duties and the meetings. And I feel like, as a person, I, I feel like we're not always seen as people. I think people are working twenty four seven and everyone's tired and fatigued in the same way. And we're putting ourselves at risk, particularly right this very moment. I feel, like it's, I feel like morale is like the lowest it's ever been. It's the lowest I've ever seen it. I think it's the lowest in the pandemic. I think there's a lot of questioning, why are we in person? Should we go virtual? No one wants to go virtual. I know the families don't wanna go virtual, but like, is it the safest thing? Um, I think there's a lot of distrust of um, the school and the administration, are they putting our safety first or are they putting the desires of the families who are spending a lot of money on education and want their kids in school? Um, I think we're being told, well, it's a mild version and if you get it, it won't be that bad, but maybe people don't wanna get a mild version of a potentially deadly disease. Maybe people have immunocompromised family members at home that they have to um, interact with. Maybe they are caring. Maybe they want to see their grandparents. We have sacrificed so much. And I think a lot of us are really conservative in terms of, you know, personally, I have been to a restaurant. Like, I sat outside at a restaurant once in two years. And yet, day in and day out, I'm going in to put myself at risk and my family at risk for these kids and I certainly believe in what I do, but like I'm also a person and feel very unseen and very unheard and unsupported. You know, there are days when you get an email at 8.45 at night saying we need asynchronous lesson plans up by 7.45 in the morning, or you get told we have to have an emergency faculty meeting at 7.30 on a Thursday. Um, or we need you to attend this workshop in August when we're not back, but we're giving you lots of notice so that you can do it anyway. Our teachers have their kids at home because their kids' schools are virtual, but they were in person and they're now confronted with how do I, what do I do? like. I can't bring my kid to school because they've now been exposed to COVID or they need to quarantine or they need to get on their Zoom. And it's like it's the double dilemma because at least when everyone was virtual, everyone was virtual, everyone was at home. And it was impossible, but at least you could like wave your child off while you're finishing teaching your class And then go tend to them or say, hang on guys, talk for a second, answer your kid's question and come back. But now you literally have to leave children at home or not go into work and then create lesson plans for a sub who probably has no experience in your subject area. Um, Teachers by nature, we're planners, we're organized, we are thinking ahead, we know what's coming and... All we've learned is like plans, you plan and you replan and you throw plans out and it's testing um, every fiber of your being. I feel like there's just a lot of finger pointing and um, anger and resentment and exhaustion. It's really hard. It's just really freaking hard. I don't know how to describe it other than that.
2: Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that there's a couple things that struck me from that the conversation that we had, and partly I think that number one, there's this, there is still this real issue of some schools are going virtual, Mm -hmm. some are still on Zoom, and that like there seems, and I think this also applies to like medical professionals and things too, but it's like there's a total disregard for the fact that these essential workers also have families (laughs) and also have things outside. You know, some some teachers are 20 and don't have a family. And maybe, you know, not that it's fair to put more burden on them anyway, but like a lot. But a lot of people don't. So that's something that I thought was kind of like, right. You know, like we're not nationally on the same page about any Mm -hmm. of this. Mm -hmm.
0: What really stood out to me is that how important the arts are in I think, times of trauma and and how she was saying, like, music does bring joy. And mm-hmm. I totally, you know, coming from a theater education background and understanding that the arts are being cut from public schools constantly, the fact that she's able to bring joy to her students through music is so very important during a pandemic, I think, mm-hmm. and Um, It just makes me sad for other schools that that has been cut. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And Um, this is a private school that she's working at. Because I think that that's so freaking important, just as important as sciences and math and stuff. Um, And
2: especially like as she was saying and as you're saying now, too, during a time of trauma (laughs) and during a time where, where everything is stressful and hard to be able to have something to turn to like that is really valuable. And we don't. Give enough props to the music and arts totally. teachers. Um, in terms of how much value they do add to people's lives and children's lives and things. Uh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And the amount just, of pressure she must feel from that because knowing that what she does does bring joy and happiness to her students and, then, yeah. and knowing that they need it more than ever.
2: Yeah. The other thing that boggles my mind that I'm not sure people fully understand is that like – while it's really, really cool, and she really spun this in a positive way that um, she was able to find some like lesson plans that ended up, or built, she built lesson plans that um, were really enriching and she found new ways to sort of teach things or found new things to teach because she mm-hmm. couldn't do like singing in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was valuable to everybody and really cool. But like, I don't know if anybody's ever out there is like taught before, but I did, I taught SAT classes for one point, and it's totally different on some levels, but one level in which it's the same is that like the first time you go through the plan, it's like, okay, you're flying by the seat of your pants, you're figuring it out as you go, you're like, how do I teach this so that people wanna like hear it? And once you sort of see what's working, then the next time you teach it, you have something planned out, you have something there, and you can rely back on this plan that you know works. To the amount of work, it would take to have to keep rewriting a plan, finding new things. Already, we don't, and, and this is happening for schools all over the place. This isn't just this particular school, mm-hmm. but like that the amount of extra time that the teachers are already putting in and not getting paid for and then right. to have this kind of level
0: and you're not getting paid for it. They're not getting paid extra to right. do this. Mm-hmm. So the like, amount I don't of know. hours that it takes to build a curriculum I mean, I can't speak for private, but for public school, they actually have a totally different department of teachers writing, totally dedicated to just writing a curriculum for the schools. What's hard then in private schools, they don't they don't it's up to the individual teacher crazy
2: and then to raise your kids you know what I mean to raise a family to come home and cook dinner whatever the fuck they expect everybody to do you know to you know (laughs) then on top of it if somebody gets maybe your child gets sick from COVID while you're teaching like then what are we doing you know so I mean the the and then you're so you're teaching on zoom or you're teaching in person all these hours and then you're also rewriting lesson plans like crazy Mm -hmm. I just Mm -hmm. I can't Everybody should be getting paid double at, at least. And again, I think that part of what strikes me about this too is it's like the, not having a national response that's been like even, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or having like, this is why government is is useful and important because someone can come in and be like, this is what we're going to do, guys. This is going to be the rule across the board and like everyone's going to be fine with it. You know what I mean? And we're going to like right. make it work so that we're all working together anyway. But um, yeah, I just thought that was really eye-opening. Um so thank you for ah. for um, sending that in for
0: us. Yes, thank you so much. That was really powerful to hear. All right, our next one is another friend of the pod and she teaches at a college. So let's listen to this.
4: Hi, my name is Gina and I am a college professor who teaches theater and theater education. I tried to write and record this yesterday, Monday, the 10th of January, which was the first day of the spring semester. But ironically, I was too anxious to sit and do so. And look, I have it comparatively easy. I teach college. My face-to-face time is considerably more limited than a K-12 teacher. In general, college teachers can do things like cancel a class, and early, if we're done with what we needed to cover, have class outside. Last semester, I was teaching the senior capstone course. And one of my students told me there was a puppy event on the main quad. We were all having kind of a rough week, so we voted to spend class playing with puppies instead of staying in the classroom and discussing the reading. I can do that. I can spread a discussion over a week when students get excited about something instead of having to move on to the next lesson because of a district mandated pacing schedule. I have that kind of flexibility. I get to work with my students for the most part where they are and with their input and collaboration. All that said, I teach in the mountains of North Carolina. My county is one of the highest transmission counties in the country. This is a small town with a strange mashup of tattooed farmers' market hipsters and Confederate flag flying libertarians. Masks have been mandated for the last two years, but not many people pay attention to that. The vaccination rate is very low. I'm also not tenured. So my job is constantly at risk and don't think, I don't think about that when I speak out against a university administration. Last year, the year we were online, they did a seat assessment in our classrooms to determine how many bodies could safely fit in each room. And the room I teach in, it's a lower level classroom with windows that do not open was posted as safely holding five bodies, that is four students and a teacher. This semester, I have five classes in that space. The smallest is 16, the largest is 30. I've been told that if I'm listed as a face-to-face class, which I am, I am not to move any of my classes online. If I myself am sick, with a series of approvals, I can go online, but for no more than a week. There is a mask mandate, but teachers are allowed to remove their masks when they're actively teaching. The chancellor told us that universities have exemptions as though the virus is sentient and will not want to interrupt me. Free testing is provided by the university. There doesn't seem to be any contact tracing in place despite assurances that there are. Last semester, Three students told me they listed me as a close contact after testing positive, and I was never informed by health services. There has not been a word of support from up above for the faculty, whether in terms of our well-being or reassurances or even thanks. We are scared and we are frustrated. And it's not just because we don't feel safe, but because we don't feel as though our school cares about our health or the health of our students. And I am scared. I know that as someone who is both vaccinated and boosted, that even though it's very likely that I will get sick and soon, it is unlikely that it's going to be serious but I'm scared. I'm scared for myself and I'm scared for my family. I'm scared for my colleague who is fighting cancer. I'm scared for our office workers who are over 60. I don't know how to teach effectively when already I am missing handfuls of students in each class because they're isolating. I'm frustrated by the veiled threats that come to us from upper administration and the condescending reminders about our responsibilities as educators. And that, I think, is the biggest issue for me. A relative just said in front of me, in frustration over teachers not wanting to return to the classroom, why can't the teachers just do their jobs? The kids have suffered enough. Now, I don't disagree. This has impacted the mental health of our students, and catastrophically so. But... What is being put in place to help those students other than me? What is being put in place to help me help them? What's being put in place to help me? I am already the professor that students come to. And every semester I hit a point where I'm not sure how I can continue to cope with secondhand trauma. And that is in regular times. My students' anxiety and depression, their grief and their fear and their despair has increased exponentially. But our mental health services have not. I am still the person they are coming to, and I am not doing very well. I was a public school teacher for 15 years, fifth grade and high school. I am barely hanging on here, and I am thanking every star in the firmament that I'm not in a K 12 classroom anymore. Who is helping the teachers that they expect to fix student trauma? Why doesn't just do your job include because we need and appreciate you, and so we are providing support to help with your students' mental health? I'm not a therapist, I'm not a grief counselor. I do not specialize in trauma rehabilitation. And in our careers, we are expected to be all these things. And we can't do it. We never could. But we especially cannot now. We cannot during this.
0: I teared up a couple times. Um, It's just not fair. It's just not fair. Yeah.
2: That's another thing, too, that the the music... A uh, lower school music teacher had said too was that just not feeling like the the school cares about mm-hmm. the well being of not just the teachers but also the students,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and and even what she was saying about the f- f- that person saying like why can't the teachers just do their jobs? It's like are what are what like we are living in different universes about mm-hmm. what is going on here. Mm. Makes me think of
0: capitalism.
2: I mean absolutely it's for both of those examples I think very much part of what that, you know, what's going on there. And I think that she, this is a really interesting situation to in the way that she addresses this because of the mental health aspect because I think that that was that was another thing I had discussed with the previous teacher was that like you know, there's there are it's the kids want to be back in school. They want to yes, be back in person. Course. They want to, you know, it's they're aspects of that that are important for sure but we're also still in this really weird scary situation and to shove what are was saying 30 people into a room that was safe for five it's mm-hmm. like you what is that i mean that is just blatant disregard mm-hmm. for anybody's safety too mm-hmm. it's like p- throwing
0: someone into a burning building you know what mm-hmm. i mean And being like it's fine you can teach theater in here <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. like, no big deal and just the constant low-grade anxiety that One would have the entire time. Yeah. Being in that room, knowing that it's not safe. Yeah.
2: And also, again, it's so interesting. Like, and we know this already, this isn't news per se, but that, like, the response is so different from, like, part from one part of the country to, you know, another part of the country and how, like, in a place like North Carolina, there are going to be some teachers that are like, what's the big deal? That's fine. And then they're not masking. And then you have students not masking or whatever, which is a different problem. You know, having a student unmasked that's a college student is a different problem than trying to manage a room full of, you know, fourth graders or high schoolers that are not being masked, but they're, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's like a really... Um, it actually also reminded me of this TikTok <laughs> that, oh. I, that I watched last night. Um, And I didn't follow up to know. I think it was pretty recently posted, so I didn't follow up where this happened. But a teacher, uh, I guess, I don't know if she's a high school teacher or what. No, I think it was like middle school or something. Or I don't know. She's a teacher at a school. Uh, her, Her handle is English Teacher Things. And she talks about how that day... Uh, A sixth grader was shot in the middle of the pandemic. Right. We're still in this in school, whatever. And now we also have gun violence stuff. So she's like a sixth grader was shot in in our school. We uh, went on lockdown for three hours. We within those three hours, we did not know. What was going to happen next uh, for two hours, they were like huddled in a dark room, like on the floor in a corner, scared for their lives, like thinking like that they're going to die. These are children. And, and mm-hmm. this and this teacher and teachers all over the school, she found out later that they um, the media fa- knew that they had apprehended the shooter and that they were actually safe hours before they let the people know inside of the school. So the trauma just was like building for hours. Then they finally came around and were like, okay, you have to huddle in for one more hour while we just like double check everything. Um, So they're just three hours huddled in darkness. And then she said the kids were really afraid to leave the building when they gave the go ahead because they were terrified that there was more shooters outside because they just the trauma had like hit them. She was in a like a target when she was recording part of it being like, I don't know what to do for them. So I just bought a lot of snacks <laughs> and tomorrow we're going to just watch a movie and be really chill and like have some snacks. She's like, can I afford these snacks on my salary? hundred percent. No, I cannot afford. She's a big like thing of snacks. I cannot afford this, but I don't know what else to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do for them. And mm-hmm. she then later is in her car still talking about it and she starts to cry and she's like, they're not. The worst part about all of this, and I think this is very related to the and this is the pandemic, you know, what I mean, but the worst part of all of this is that um, they're going to expect everybody to come to school the next day and just be business as usual. There'll be like a little bit of grief counseling, but nobody's really addressing any kind of mental health issues They just expect people to kind of like plod on and keep going, which is also very much a capitalist kind of way of of, you know, business as usual kind of thing and not a, not really addressing the toll that that kind of thing can take on peep humans, and that I think similarly, a shooting happens all of a sudden. So then there's that kind of trauma. But but I think we really underestimate how much trauma is has been happening for two years, especially to people with brains that are not fully formed because they're under the age of 21. You know, or whatever it is. Not I'm not offending children, but I'm just <laughs> saying that that's. Um, and then on top of that, in America, we have issues like gun violence. You know, and and that over and over the expectation that it's like you just deal with it, suck it up and deal with it. Why can't you just do your job? Mm -hmm. What are the what are the what
0: is what are these conditions you're putting people in? Well, especially for these public schools, um, they're saying probably like, well, we have our standardized tests in a month and nothing is as important as those standardized tests. And (laughs) like. Coming from uh, so I went, grew up going to public school and I was horrible at taking those tests like those that dictated our entire career in high school and, and yeah. elementary school and stuff because that there was nothing more important than what you scored on those tests. And I bet that's what's coming into play of like we don't have time to dr- address trauma because our students have to keep persevering so they can check you know circle in with a blue pen a or b or c it's disgusting which
2: is, and which is fascinating too because it's not like those tests have proven ever to ever help people learn things ever. you know
0: so it's like what are what is what is happening what are we doing don't get me started on standardized tests but that that's really sad that is just so sad and yeah again it's just this mentality of keep going keep going and don't address your trauma Yeah, it's just really
2: it's the rugged individualism of America, America. And like how that is part of it, you know, and this like lack of community situation where we are not helping each other. We're just saying, oh, you can't deal with it. That's your problem. Oh, Mm -hmm. you're feeling anxious about it. (laughs) Why? It's fine. You know, right. And like and like you said, that low grade anxiety, it literally kills people. -hmm. Like anxiety, like that, that like is last, you're not, your body is not meant to be in Mm -mm. anxiety for like, uh, as someone with anxiety who (laughs) has studied this a lot, it's not healthy, Mm -hmm. you know? And if you're, if you're being, it's one thing if I, you have anxiety and you're dealing with it, whatever. It's another when it's like, it's, it's like universal anxiety. It's like, you know, it's all of us. It's not just like, oh, you have a, you have a
0: problem. It's like, no, we, Globally, we have a problem right now Mm -hmm. that's not being addressed well. Right. And then when you have low-grain anxiety all the time mixed with trauma, the amount of like substance abuse that gets involved to like numb yourself so you can actually move through the world unscathed. And the suicide rates for kids too, you know? So, yeah, sprinkle in some social media bullying and, you know, feeling bad about your body and self-esteem. It's like, I can't... Everything is clashing together at this point, and it's not sustainable. No, no, it's just it's not definitely sustainable.
2: Not. No, it's definitely not. And I think that, like, we talked about this uh, <laughs> in our like twenty twenty podcast or whatever. And I, I do, I just really strongly feel this way still. But it's like, the good news is, there, there just has to be changes. There's, we're, mm-hmm. there's no way people are going to put up with this forever. Mm-hmm. We're just mm-hmm. not. The, the scary thing is that how are people going to fight back about it you know like that's mm-hmm. where I, that's the, the scary part mm-hmm. but I feel for I feel very much for that professor mm-hmm. and theater's really hard like I in my job you know I work with a ton of actors and like some of them are really young I, we've worked with some kid actors and we've also worked with actors that are maybe out of college but they went to like a program after like a two year program at like Atlantic Theater Company or something like mm-hmm. that and in the they've have to do it the whole thing in on Zoom. So I understand that theater, especially. Can you imagine trying to learn theater no. remote by yourself? I mean, that's not no. what that art form is about. so i I understand that the challenges of um, even just trying to teach a theater program must be extremely stressful when you can't touch people and you can't. Right. You know, even when you're in the in the room together, you're still like, you know, can't have a makeout scene like you want to have Romeo, Juliet or whatever oh, it is. But like, yeah. well then I quit. <laughs> yeah, no, forget it. That's the only reason I got in was all the kissing.
0: <laughs> all right. Our last teacher that we're going to listen to kind of, I think, is pretty damn joyful, which is refreshing. Just listen for yourselves. Um, She is a, another dear friend of the pod. She actually, this is her first year teaching, (laughs) and she teaches kindergarten in the South Bronx. So let's take a listen.
1: The weird thing is that this is my first year as a teacher. So I don't have any other experience. So all I know is teaching during COVID. This is my lens. It's crazy because with these kids, the idea, of seeing them with their masks off, I feel like it would be like seeing them naked. Like every time I get a glimpse of one of them without their masks on, like during like lunch in the cafeteria, like if I go down there early and they're still eating, I'm like, oh my God, Stephanie, like your face, that's what you look like. And they also don't know what we look like really. And, you know, they're in kindergarten. So we're literally teaching them the fundamentals of decoding language and and like phonemic awareness so when i teach them like letter sounds i have (laughs) i have this like plexiglass shield that i have to wear over my face because they have to be able to see my lips and every time they see me without my normal mask they look at me like who are you but i need to like see their lips in order to like teach them how to read miraculously i haven't gotten COVID. My co-teacher did, only one of my kids has gotten COVID that we know of, but honestly, they send home COVID tests with the kids, but like all they do is they, they check their temperature outside, they literally sign a form that has like three boxes. Like, I don't, I don't have a runny nose, I haven't been around anyone who has COVID and I don't have symptoms, check, 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 and they get to go in the building. So like, who knows? I feel like there's probably a lot of COVID in my building and no one knows. I don't know like what your experience has been talking to teachers who teach older kids, but five-year-olds are all over each other. And honestly, maybe it's just like an instinctive thing. But at this point, they need love and joy so badly so like oh my god like i give them hugs like i give them kisses at this point i don't give a shit about covid i'm just like no like i they need like some kind of intimacy and like nurturing they just they need it it's crucial so it's like a balance like again i've gotten really lucky i haven't gotten covid um and so far like all of my kids seem okay but like i constantly wash my hands I always wear, like I have like an N95 mask. Like I, you know, I take all the precautions, but like, you know, kids will be kids. So there's like no social distancing really. Like they still all eat together in the cafeteria without their masks on. Like it's just, apparently last year at the school because COVID was so much worse, all the classes had lunch in the classroom. Just to kind of keep everyone separate, but now, like, no, they're downstairs in the cafeteria. Like, literally, like, none of the windows are cracked. Oh my god, I spent like the first month crying, and then after that, I was really angry for a while. It's like the it's like the stages of grief. First, it was like depression. Oh no, 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 no! First, it's first, it's denial. Then it's anger. Then it's depression. And then like the added one is just like you have to laugh. Like you have to just like fucking laugh because sometimes it's so ridiculous what they expect of these kids and what they expect of us. Like you have to just like laugh it off. Like you do your best, but it's like, honestly, as far as like mental health, as far as COVID is concerned, I feel like it's a testament to children's resilience and their ability to adapt because they're they're just used to it. Like they have to wear their masks and it is what it is. And so that's actually kind of incredible. Like you know, hopefully soon it'll be over and they'll be able to like look back. But honestly, they're for the most part, like in a school environment where there's a lot expected of them, especially if they have to hit certain standards for education before they can move on to first grade, there's a lot of pressure on them. But um, as far as like COVID specifically, like they have a mask on their face and they're still the same kids. Like, it's kind of amazing. Definitely not going to stop teaching. Absolutely not. It really is gratifying at the end of the day, even if, you know, on the adult side, there's a lot of struggles to, like, see what an important impact I have on their daily lives. Like, outside of their parents, their teachers are the main adult in their life. So, yeah, no, absolutely not going to stop teaching. No. Man. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i
2: one thing that i realized we haven't addressed yet is that part of the struggle with figuring out did they go back to school or not go back to school is that if they do work if especially a kindergarten kid or something if you're doing kindergarten from zoom but you have to go to your job you know so for a lot of parents it's not that viable to stay on zoom either if if again if we're not as a community working together to make sure that like a parent can stay home and still get paid or family leave or something and we just don't have any of that in place and that i think you know certainly comes into play with this like do we go back do we stay do we you know mm-hmm.
0: i just know when i taught in the bronx because I, I taught for a nonprofit and after school acting program that i've talked about before opening act shout out but most of my students in the Bronx that I was teaching, uh, they were all high school students. They had to work and their parents were constantly working. So yeah. Yeah. I cannot imagine like any kind of virtual type of schooling for any of those students because they had to actually show up at their jobs. And of course, their parents did too. So yeah. I don't know what that even was looking like before. I mean, I, I, I don't think, I, I don't know and a lot of the kids just didn't have computers too. So Right. So it's I, hard to get. Yeah. Yeah. So It's different. It's America is different. Our education system across America is different. It looks different in private schools versus public. And like it's a fucking shit show because there's absolutely no leadership across the board to help guide these students uh, or and these and teachers. The teachers. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And I think with that last teacher, I did edit out a lot, but we really had a nice dialogue about just the amount of privilege that goes behind. Um, so she was a nanny before, and the amount of privilege that the, the kids that she was a nanny for versus her kindergartners in the Bronx. Yeah. yeah. And um, just the amount of access. And I know that we've had a lot of conversations this past year. Um, just understanding privilege and the proper access to education. It's the American mentality of like pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and stuff. Like, fuck that. Fuck that phrase. Fuck that mentality because it's not the same for everybody in America. Not everybody has the right access or the proper access and privilege. Yeah. And I'm just sitting here thinking like, what is the solution to this? Like, what is... How do we... What
2: is the... And certainly in the the way that we run things here, the solution is not this easy, like slap, you know, slap. That's what everyone's been trying to do for years is like, let's just do an easy fix on this. Even things like send more money to the public schools. It's that doesn't do anything because there's not a really
0: unified. Well, they're saying right now, right now they're saying let's send all the like more money to the public schools with the highest standardized testing. So if you score better, you get more money. But that then takes away from any sort of, yeah, it's so fucked up. That's a national thing that they're trying to pass right now, which is so fucked up. I'm sorry. I get so angry because it affected me so personally growing up in public schools. And then it's just getting worse.
2: Yeah, it's definitely getting worse. And I think that, you know. Because I'm even thinking, like, okay, well, then maybe the solution is that everyone sends their kid to public school. But, like, that doesn't solve it either. Because, like, if they're still not putting education first. Totally. You know? Then, of course, people with more money are going to be like, this is, I don't want my kid to be here. You know what I mean? If it's Mm -hmm. not a good place to be. So, like, we have to have a system that's in place first Mm -hmm. that people want to be in. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something that like people aren't opting out just because, you know, well, you know, it's not just that they're opting out because like they this the the base education system in the United States is so bad. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: You know. And yes, it is a privilege to be able then to go to a private school and we just shouldn't it should just not private school just shouldn't be that much more alluring. Mm-hmm. than the regular, the, the public school right in your neighborhood. Right. Why is it so different? It or the privilege there's no, there's to no move. Need.
0: Right. I mean, I keep hearing the privilege to move to a public school, like, in, to, to be able to afford a house in a very nice, like, public school zone.
2: Yeah, and like, why be, would one... so much money to do that. Yeah, and why right. would one education in one neighborhood be different than a public... In, in a public school. Right. In a right. public school. <laughs> Right, it that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any but sense. But yet, and in other countries, you know, <laughs> these democratic socialist countries, they put money toward the schools in a way that, like, everybody's getting the same education. Right. It's standardized, not standardized in a way that we do standardized. But I mean, people are getting high quality education regardless of their you know, their economic background.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: They're getting like the same, and it's good. You know, it's good quality. People are smart. We're we're right. so da- we are so far down the line. In terms of um, education in this country. And yeah. we're, uh, but make, you know, America, it's great. It's the greatest country in the world, right? <laughs> like yeah. Not, nothing better than America. I just really, <laughs> people got to get their heads out of their asses. Right. So, and care and I feel, for
0: other humans, care yeah. for their community. It's not just about you. No. But it's not even just like, it's not even just the just about you.
2: It's the like, there are people that are voting for people yes. that will mm-hmm. keep this in place the way that it is mm-hmm. that actually suffer from these right things that you there are people whose own children suffer from this mm-hmm. and they and this idea that like we're going to blame the elitist and you know education yes. systems that's where I, I that's where i do like i'm not I mean, so I'm from a private school and like I, I totally see like why like I, I totally see why like, oh, no, like if we put our resources to public schools instead and put our kids into public schools instead, maybe that will help push the resources. But it's not working like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like I also fully understand why the, these private schools exist, like why they exist, why they why they're being put, why, you know, and, and the truth is there's other people out there making money off the private schools, So they don't want them to go anywhere. They don't want the the public school system to be better. Because then they're losing money on their private school mm-hmm. investments. So I mean, mm-hmm. like the whole thing comes back down to money. But the other problem is that now there's a way to be like, let's blame the elitists, and you know, and and the elite mm-hmm. education thing. And there's a you had, were talking saying that a friend of yours was doing this too, or no, he wasn't doing this. He was seeing it happening in colleges where um, there's so much anger at mm-hmm. the at their disparity that then the blame goes to like it's almost like an anti-intelligence movement or an anti-education movement whereas instead of saying it's terrifying terrifying because like the most important thing any individual can have is true knowledge and truth and the ability Mm -hmm. to use their brain in a um, flexible way Mm -hmm. and we are some of that is taught you know Mm -hmm. some of that is like learning how to learn Mm Mm-hmm. And they don't teach that In public schools right now They don't teach that In a lot of places Not mm-hmm. I means And there's some Like you were saying There's some public schools That are better than
0: others But that's insane Right Yeah So um, We hope that You feel the rage uh, yeah. As we do <laughs> and and I don't I don't know what system. the
2: solution is in like the most immediate moment like in this mm-hmm. next 10 minutes except for like mm. maybe thank your t- your kids teachers send them send them some treats or something or like you know, acknowledge that like they are working so hard mm-hmm. to make and we're all working hard and we're all having a hard time, but there are certain people in our community mm-hmm. that are really carrying a load that may even be heavier than yours.
0: So, and just understand that teachers are on your team. Yeah, it is a team effort. They are working with you to to you know for the success of your child. So don't approach teachers with you. You should do this. You should be doing this. Da da da. da. Like they are your teammates. So speak to them like that. And I mean, I I just have mm. empathy for what they are going through. Yes, and. God, I just i don't know i just i hope that um we've amplified their voices and that I hope that we all can just especially when it comes time for the midterms and for us to vote again mm-hmm. really take notice and stock of who you're voting for and what their stance is on education um I think that's very important that we are voting in leaders that have the students you know minds and hearts in in their minds when they make legislation it's fucked up it's just really it's really fucked up so fucked up
2: well thanks for listening on that happy note go out and do something about it go out and like you know there there is something you can do there is something you can do so Mm -hmm. there is take care of each other acknowledge each other understand where people are coming from have compassion if you need mental support do what you can to get it if you are able to give mental support give it Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and let's make some changes
0: Mm -hmm. And if you're a teacher yourself and you're listening, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear how you're doing. And if there's anything we can do to help, I don't know. Just we'd love to hear from you and hear about your experiences. So thank you all so much for listening. We're excited for next week for our self-love challenge. Yeah. Tune in again. See you.
2: Bye.